We are in the series called The Land Between, and last week we had the privilege of hearing uh, from Billy Phoenix, and Billy talked about um, the promise that, li- that Moses lived in light of the promise of God. And he talked about the importance of knowing who made the promise. You know, if you, if you think about a promise made to you, you've got to consider who the promiser is. And we have a great promiser in God. And that should influence how we live and how we respond to his promises. And so um, this whole series is about living life in transition. And tonight I want to reveal more to you about how God uses transition. In fact, I'll just go ahead and give you kind of the bottom line that I really think is behind the whole series. But God uses transition to transform our trust. God uses transition to transform our trust. And if you were to boil down Exodus and all the Israelites moving from Egypt into the promised land... What's going on there is he's really trying to get from the Israelites, do you trust me? Do you depend on me? And so tonight we're going to look at um, this story, and it's actually going to come from the book of Numbers, but there was actually um, like three different stories that we could have used tonight. But before we get there, um, I just want to share with you, I don't know, um, we're going to see tonight um, a, a lot of complaining that goes on with the Israelites. And I don't know if you're a complainer or not. I don't think anybody is like, oh, I'm a complainer. Yeah, you know, if I said show of hands, people raise their hands. You wouldn't raise your hands because you're like, I don't want to be known as a complainer. But I don't know if you think about that. Like, how do you evaluate your life when it comes to complaining? But I, I'll admit, I complain. In fact, just uh, recently, um, I was getting ready to go on vacation. And the night before I'm, I'm going on vacation, I walk out in the hallway of my condo complex. And there's a puddle of water on the floor. And it's coming from my condo. And I'm like, what is going on with this? And then I, I'm thinking it's coming from above, like the condo above me. And I find out on vacation from the maintenance man in my building, it's like, you have a leak in your tub. And it's, you got to replace the entire tub. It's going to cost you probably about two grand, maybe 2,500. I'm like, really? Like, seriously? Like, replace the whole tub for a leak? You know, can't we just patch the leak? And so we got the leak patch Friday, okay? So it was just patched. It was only $250, I hope. I haven't gotten the bill yet. But... For the last three weeks, I've had to take army showers. You know what army showers are? It's like you turn the water on, you get yourself wet, you soap yourself up, and then you like turn the water off, you know? I mean, it's like you got to like do all the soaping while there's no water, and then you rinse rinse yourself off. Anybody had to take army showers before? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's like, okay, that's no fun. And like doing it for like a day or two is like you can, it's like a day or two, you know? Three weeks in a row. I'm like, seriously, come on. This is like getting old. And as I'm on vacation, my friend, is, he's like, man, don't you hate it when stuff goes wrong at your house? And, and I'm like, man, that's crazy. And as he's telling me this, he had just had his house flooded. Like it flooded and he lost like in the, all the big rainstorms that we just had recently. He lost his whole heating and AC and everything in their house. Like all the woodwork underneath his house, like totally messed up. And I'm sitting here like bathtub, you know? But I'm like complaining about it like everything in me and then I'm complaining for the weeks to come and there's just a tendency in us when things don't go our way that the natural response is for us to complain and as we see tonight as we look at the Israelites 
there are going to be some murmuring, some complaining, some groans that come from them. And there's three different stories that we could tell, actually, in the Exodus that kind of deal with this. And the first, we're not going to be able to tell them all, but the first is they get into, you know, the desert and they don't have any water to drink. The water's too bitter. And so that's like a problem. Okay, and then, but God fixes that and makes the water, like, drinkable. And it's like, okay, okay, you provided water. That's a good thing. Then they don't have any food to eat. Okay, it's like, okay, that's not good. We don't have any food to eat. And it's like, that's okay. I got you covered. I'm God. I'm going to give you manna. It's coming from heaven. Okay, it's going to, every morning you wake up, there's going to be this, like, dew, crusty thing on the ground. You go gather it. You can make it into, like, bread. You can make it into cake. You can make it into a lot of different things. But I'm going to provide free food. So that's pretty cool. You know, I mean, it's like, we didn't have stuff. We complained. We were, like, letting God know we needed stuff. He, like, provided something that was absolutely amazing. And so now we're going to pick up the story tonight in Numbers 11. And before we dive into the whole story, I got to tell you one little prequel to the story I'm about to tell. This is in Numbers 11, verse 1, where this prequel starts. And it's just crazy because what happens is, is that God hears the, this murmuring and this complaining and people like crying out. And it's like, it's not good. They're upset with God. They're upset about their circumstances. They're upset that they're in the desert. And what they're complaining about is the actual manna. They're like, we're, we're out here. We got to eat this manna all the time. And so God gets upset. And just in the, three, the first three verses of chapter 11, he sets the entire camp on fire, the edges of it. God just says, you're going to get mad at me? Puts the whole thing, surrounds them with fire. They start crying out to Moses. All the Israelites are like, please say something to God. Put this thing out. Stop this. This is crazy. We were like, we weren't that mad. You know, I mean, like we didn't want the fire of God on us. We were just letting him know. I mean, so Moses has to like cry out to God and the fire stops. That in itself I mean, is the coolest thing ever. That It's like, what in the world? I mean, if you, if you doubted God in that moment, it's like, okay, I believe he's real. Okay, I got it. I got enough, okay? It's happening. That's crazy. But that's where, this, where we're going to pick up the story. And I just want you to, I want to remind you what we're talking about tonight, okay? God uses transition to transform our trust. God uses transition to transform our trust. And I just want you to think about that as we're going through this. And by the way, just a little side note. They called the name of that place where the fire broke out around the camp, um, Tibera, Tibera, okay? And it, you can't find it today on a map because they were in the desert. But the reason they called it that was because the fire of God burned there, Tibera, because the fire of God burned there. That's a pretty cool little memory, okay? Fire of God broke out. Anyway, we're going to pick it up in verse 4. Here we go. The rabble with them began to crave other food. Now, the rabble is a key word because um, that's like the non-Israelites, the people that went with them, and I, that's crazy. But when 600,000 people are leaving a nation, people kind of tag along. And so there were some people that were with them that weren't Jews, Okay. That's what the word rabble means. I didn't know that, by the way, before this. And I think that's a pretty cool word. I would like to reinstate that into the English language somehow. Because I think it'd be like, you know, I was hanging out with our rabble the other day. You know, I mean, it's like that would be fun to say. I don't know. The rabble. Have you ever heard that word before? It's crazy. So your translation might not say that, but that's what the NIV says. And that's just non-Israelites. 
And so the non-Israelites began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing. And that's key, because it's like, okay, here it goes again. They start crying, they start complaining, they start murmuring, and said, if we only had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a handmill or crushed it in a mortar. They, they cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves. And it tasted like something made with olive oil when the dew settled on the camp at night. That manna also came down. And so, here's what's going on. The interesting thing about that passage is they start remembering all the great food that they had in Egypt. The first thing that they said was, we had, you know, fish. It was free. The fish was free. The food was free. And I'm like, really? Was it really free? I mean, that's what I would like to say to them. I was like, I mean, it, it, it came with a cost. It came with slavery. Like, if you want to be enslaved under another nation, you can have all these great foods. But, I mean, it cost you something. You were enslaved. You were enslaved to Pharaoh and to the people of Egypt. And so it really wasn't free. Yeah, you had it. It was at your access, but it cost you something. And now they're in the desert and they've got their freedom and they've got God. But all they've got is manna. And so they're complaining. They're murmuring. They're upset with God. And so I don't know what it's like for you to be in those situations. But when the circumstances don't go your way, you, you kind of complain. But again, as I said with the shower, that, that happens with me at times. In 1999, I had this incredible privilege to be hired um, by passion conferences to go tell college students all over the nation about an event we were doing in Memphis, Tennessee called One Day. Okay, this is before like Georgia Dime Passion Conferences was happening. This was like, Passion was just a small little movement. And they had like a gathering in Fort Worth, Texas in 1999 that had like 10,000 people at it. And then they were like, hey, we're going to go do this gathering in a field in Memphis, Tennessee in May of 2000. And we want students from all over the nation to come and participate in it. And so I got I the privilege to, um, I was offered a job to live in an RV and go to uh, um, college campuses all over the, the country. Crazy thing was, when I showed up in August, there was no RV. I was like, wait, wait a minute, you said there was going to be an RV. They're like, we don't have an RV, but here's a van. You can have a van, and you can live down by the river. And um, so, uh, but, and I was like, wait a minute, this is crazy. I was like, well, that's not true. You're just going to start in a van. But the, the board of Passion has um, not agreed that we should buy an RV. And I'm like, well, what's up with the board? Did they not get the vision of this thing? I mean, this is amazing. I mean, we got to get to a hundred different college campuses, thousands of college campuses, as, as many as we can in nine months and tell people about this gathering called One Day. And the only way it's going to work is if we have this RV. And so we borrowed this van of a staff member who worked for Passion at the time. So that kind of worked out well. And I am just so mad. And I'm mad at this one board member. I'd never met the man. His name was Dale Jones. 
And I'm like, Dale Jones must not be like, on board with God's vision for this thing. I mean, what is wrong with Dale? He was only the vice president of a company called Halliburton. I don't know if you've ever heard of that company, but you don't get to be the vice president of this company based in Dallas, Texas, and not, you're not, I mean, you have to be a very, 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 very wise person. If you're probably the vice president of any company, but you, this is like, I mean, I'm talking like not billions, billions of dollars of business, okay, that they kind of did. Kind of did. They did it, okay? And he was like, you shouldn't get an RV because it's going to cost you too much money and it's, um, it's, you're, we're not going to be able to resell it quickly. We're going to lose so much money in the resale. I just think it's not a good idea. We should lease And I know leasing is never a good option, but for this situation, we should lease or we should rent. And even though it will cost more in the nine months or the year that we're going to have the RV, it will save us money in the long run. Okay, that was Dale's position. And then I, um, anyway, so the crazy thing is we get out on the road and they want us to start in Memphis. And I am just mad as fire because I got a van. I'm in a van. You told me I was going to be in an RV. Like, nice. You know, it's going to have beds in it. It's going to have a bathroom. It's going to have a shower. You know, we've got to, like, stay with people now. We have to, like, you know, this is crazy. We've got to, like, you know, you know surf, couch surf. You know, this is no fun. And we show up in Memphis. I walk, and it's the first day we're on the road. Show up in Memphis. We walk on the University of Memphis, the campus there. And there is a student that wa- walks out of the building that we're walking into and he's like, are you the one day guys? And I'm like, excuse me? He's like, are you the one day guys? I heard through the website that you guys were going to be in Memphis. School hasn't even started yet, by the way. It's August, okay? And he's like, we heard you were coming, and we were wondering where you were going to be today. And we're so glad you're here. Our school hasn't started yet. I don't know if you know that or not. But we'd love to get some people together and for us to hang out tonight. And you tell us all about one day and what's happening this year. And I'm like, no way. I mean, this is crazy. God provided right there. Shortly after that meeting, God put us in in touch with a family that let us stay with them the entire week that we were in Memphis. And they were like housing us, providing meals. That's always good. Home-cooked meals. That's even better. And like God was providing the whole way. And I'm just like angry because we're stuck in a van. I'm like, what is going on? It's crazy. Well, two weeks later, the board finally got Dale to capitulate. He was the the descending decision, but they purchased the RV, okay? Lots of money, purchased the RV. We had an incredible experience on the road in the RV. It was amazing. One day was amazing. Over 30,000 students from all over the nation gathered in this field. It was absolutely incredible. So that happened in May of 2000. In May of 2001, Passion still owned an RV. Was still paying for it, trying to sell it. And I fortunately had the opportunity in that year to meet Dale Jones. And Dale Jones is one of the sweetest, nicest, most gentlest. Like I, like when I shook his hand for the very first time, conviction fell down on my life. Because I was like, you are a spoiled, rotten kid who has no wisdom whatsoever. Because the guy was right. Passion spent thousands of dollars paying for an RV and then losing thousands of dollars selling the RV. And Dale Jones was right the entire time. And what was amazing about it was God had provided for us exactly what we needed the entire time. And I was missing all of that in those moments because I was just mad because I didn't get what I, what I expected. 
Has that ever happened to you where you complain? Where you're upset, where things don't go your way? You have hardship come? Your expectations don't get met? And so you gripe, you complain, your attitude turns poor? Let's see how Moses responds to all of this complaining. Verse 10, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? to the land you promised on an oath to their ancestors. Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're gonna treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. That's how Moses responds. And he goes to God, and I just think, I don't know, I just, I don't, I have no idea how his tone of voice was. I know that he was dead serious, and I think he was so frustrated, and I think the burden, I really believe, and the scripture talks about, we won't go into that tonight, about how he was carrying the weight of their complaints and the leadership in this moment. In fact, a unique story that if you want to go read Numbers 11 is, is how God shifts the leadership on the elders as well in this moment. Because it was, God agreed it was too much for Moses to bear. But I just don't know. I mean, this is why I want like DVR in heaven. Because I mean, like I want to know what Moses' tone of voice was in this conversation. Because this conversation is beautiful. And it's hilarious. And I don't know if God was laughing at Moses in this moment. Like really, you want me to kill you. Do you think I'm going to do that? Like you're going to ask me to kill you and I'm going to kill you? Like, does it, is that the way it works? And I, I mean, I don't know what's going to, I mean, it's like, really? I mean, is it that bad? Manna tastes that bad that you want to be dead. <laughs> Manna or death, you know? I don't know what's happening in that moment, but I think it's beautiful. And I think there's one significant thing that you've got to catch from this that's different than the Israelites and how they responded to God and how Moses responded to God. Moses turned to God. And you got to catch that. Moses turned to God and he still had his complaints. He still was griping. He still was voicing it. But he was honest with God. And I think God loved him for it. He turned to him and just was completely honest and said, here's my heart, God. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm carrying. This is what's going on. And it's too much for me to bear right now. When's the last time that you were completely honest with God about the way you're feeling about your circumstances? That you were totally transparent with God? Are any of you angry at God? Upset at God about something? Have you talked to him about it? Have you let him know how you feel? Have you voiced that? 
Because in the land between, when you're going through transition, it's really important, I think, that you would be totally honest with God on how you feel. Because if, if God is going to use the land between to transform your trust, for you to trust him, you have to be honest with him. He can handle it. Here's God's response in verse 18. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. When you will eat meat, the Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it just for one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have well before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? This verse is, is powerful because I just want to focus on this last little part. It says, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have well before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? And if you're reading this story, if you go home and read it again, you cannot miss this verse because it's significant because the Israelites missed God completely in their midst. And I mean, we can go back to crossing the Red Sea. We can go back even further into Egypt and look at the plagues that God did and see that God is at work and doing things. Or we can just back up just a few verses and say there was fire surrounding the entire camp. But God was in their midst. And all they were doing was complaining. And he says, I'm going to give you quail. I'm going to give you meat. I'm going to pour out all this meat for you to eat. And it's going to be so much that you're going to loathe it. It's going to be so much that you're going to loathe it. And this is the thing I want us to to understand about complaining. And that is complaining equals rejection of God. And that might sound harsh. But I just want you to think about it for a second. Complaining equals rejection of God. That's what's happening here. They totally miss God in their midst. And I think this is so true of us. And this is, it's so easy for us to step outside of the context. And I've been saying this each week that I've been up here and, and say, man, if I were in the, you know, in the nation of Israel and, you know, I was traveling through the Exodus and I walked through the Red Sea, I was like, surely I'm going to believe in God and trust in him. But I, I think if I've been eating manna for two years straight, same meal every day, Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mom, what are we having for dinner tonight? We're having manna. Same thing we had last night. And tomorrow morning, you're going to have manna too. It would get old. I think I would complain. But complaining equals rejection of God. And I I think it's so easy for us to to pick on the Israelites. But but I I think I would have been complaining. But when I think about 
our context and the play that I complained today, even just a dumb little story about my bathtub and leak and all that kind of stuff, I just never once in the last three weeks did I thank God for running water. Never said, God, thank you so much for running water. It's amazing. It can run like for 15 minutes and nonstop. I never once stopped to thank God for that. But if I lived in Kenya... I probably would have a different perspective on that. And, and I just think sometimes we live in our world and we're so accustomed to the, the, the things that we have just grown up that are just natural to us to, to receive and have. And they're everyday things that we take for granted and that we miss God in our midst. We, get, we, we totally miss God. And see, we always seem to forget what God has done for us. I think we're forgetful people. I mean, we just forget what God has done for us. And I think it's so important to remember what God has done. I think that's what's so beautiful about communion, and we'll get to do that at the end of the summer together. But communion is about remembering God and what he's done for us, what he did through Jesus Christ on the cross for us. And what that means, that we have life, that we've got grace and mercy because of the life of Jesus. And I think when we complain, it is a rejection of God and his blessings on our life. And here's God's response in verse 21. But Moses said, here I am among 600 thousand men on foot. This is Moses to God. I said, this is God's response, but God's response is coming. But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I'll give them meat to eat for a whole month, which I think that's a totally legit thing to say. Even if you've crossed the Red Sea, I'm just like 600,000 men. How do you get meat for 600,000 people? But it's God. It's the promiser. Would they have enough flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? (laughs) I love that question. The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? You never want to hear that from God. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, you just don't want to go there. You know, it's like, no, I mean, in that moment, I know, like, I know Moses was like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. Did I really say that? Now you'll see whether or not what I say will come true for you. It's the proof of the true God is whether or not his word is going to come to pass. And I mean, at that point, Moses knew. I mean, everything that had been laid out for Moses from the burning bush to the plagues to the crossing of the Red Sea to the providing of water to the providing of manna. Everything had been provided. God had been true every single time. And so, of course, God's arm is not too short. God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Numbers 11, verse 31, we'll pick up the story there. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail from the sea 
it scattered them up two cubits deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 omers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kivroth, Hatavah, because there they buried the people who had craved other food. I'm going to back up to verse um, 32. And it says, All that day and night and all the next day the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten omers. Uh, an omer, I don't have the best example of an omer. I mean, they, the scholars say it was somewhere between 3.8 and 6.5 bushels is an omer. Okay, that didn't help me at all. But 10 bushels, 10 bushels, okay, so 10 omers would be 38 bushels. That still doesn't help me. But here's what an omer is, okay? Uh, it, it is a donkey, one omer is a donkey's load, okay? And that came out wrong, and don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> but if you were going to load up a donkey and, like, travel with it, and not like he was going to drop something off, but... Um, but if you were going to load up one donkey, okay, and move somewhere, that would be one omer, okay? And it says that no one gathered less than 10 donkeys of quail, okay? That's a lot of quail, 10. And I, I don't know. I mean, it just says no one. I, I, don't, I mean, that's, that's crazy, and I still don't think they picked it all up. I still think there was quail everywhere. Because it says that there was quail in every direction a day's walk. I mean, how crazy is that? That is just, un, you cannot fathom it. You cannot, I mean, it's just unbelievable. But it's true. And then... Keep going to verse 34. It says that they, right after that, it says that they, while the meat was still between their teeth, stay there on 34, while the meat was still between their teeth, that the anger of the Lord burned against them, and a severe plague broke out, and people died. Lots of people died. And you're like, what in the world? What's that all about? And, and you know, the deal is they were some type of food poisoning, and it was the way they, it says in a, a previous verse that they laid out quail everywhere. They didn't have, they didn't know what to do with all this quail. I mean, it's crazy. So they were trying to like figure out ways to like preserve it and dry it, but they, they must not have done something right in that whole preservation process. And they definitely hadn't consumed all the quail yet because there was so much of it. So they were still eating it, still trying to consume it, and people started dying from some type of plague that came through the quail. But this word, Kivroth, Hatava, I don't have my 
my H right on that, but, but that's the best English version I can do. That means the, the graves of craving. The graves of craving. They named, Moses named this place, this land. You can't find this one either. They think they know where this is though. The graves of craving. Because people had chased after their appetites. Their craving, their lust for meat. And their lust for meat ended up taking their lives. I just want you to think about that for a moment. What is the grave of craving that your complaints are creating? What graves of craving are your complaints creating? You're like, what? Think about the things that you complain about. Are you complaining that you're single? Are you complaining that you're unemployed? That you don't like your current job? Are you complaining about your parents? Your mother? You're having relational tension with her. And she, by the way, brought you into the world. Not to sound like your mom, but I'm just... Or your dad, who would say that to you. But are you complaining about her? Are you complaining about the school you were attending? Are you complaining about a leader, a teacher, a dean, a professor, or a boss? What are your complaints? And in your complaints, what grades are you digging for yourselves while you're complaining? Where are you going to satisfy your unsatisfaction? Because that's what was going on. The Israelites weren't satisfied with manna. And they wanted something else. And when we begin to complain, we begin to reject God's blessings. And we get to miss out. And it can lead you to a very dark place. Complaining can lead you to a very dark place. And I think if we were going to boil down this entire summer, it comes down to this question. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? And it's really that simple. But think about it for a moment. I mean, what are your options? You can trust in yourself. You can try to trust in the things of this world. Or you can trust God, who's made you an incredible promise in his son, Jesus Christ. This uh, series title, The Land Between, comes from a book called The Land Between by this guy named Jeff Mannion. And um, he says this, he says, trust and complaint are incompatible roommates. Trust and complaint are incompatible roommates. 
And the land between live in life and tr- transition is all about your dependency. And where is it? And if you're going to navigate and live through transitions the way and mature through them and grow through them and let them transform you into a trusting person, then you're going to have to evaluate where you complain. What are you complaining about? And why do you complain about those things? And why are you not satisfied? What, what's the root problem there? What, what's, what's not getting your need met in that moment? Because do you really believe that God is for you? That he has an incredible, the most amazing plan that would blow your mind if he told it to you today. If you went all in with him. That you trusted him. Because he has an incredible plan for you. And so tonight, I want us to um, talk about that. And this is the last thing Jeff Mannion says. And, and um, this is incredible. He says, complaint is an uninvited guest. It just shows up when the circumstances come and you're upset about something. Complaint just kind of moves in. And it's like, he's just like, hey, I'm here. I'm ready. I got my bags. I'm unpacking a complaint, you know, and it's just taking residency up. And, and the only way you can remove complaint, the only way you can evict it from your life is that you've got to move something else in. And so you've got to choose to trust or you're going to let complaint take up residence in your life. And so tonight, as we go to discussion groups in just a moment, we're gonna, the band's going to come back and they can start coming. Um, tonight, when you go to discussion groups, I just want you, we're, you're going to talk about some of these things, but I just want you to think about as you're going, what is wearing you out right now? What are you spending your energy on? When hardships come, what's your first response? Do you complain or do you go to God in prayer? I'll just admit, my first response isn't prayer. It needs to be, but I'm just like, I complain. What graves are you craving? What graves are you, what graves are you craving? I didn't say that right. What graves are you creating? What graves are you creating by your complaining? What graves are you creating by your complaining? And how often do we miss God who's in our midst? How often do you miss God who's in your midst? When he's there, you didn't even notice he was there. And so I want you to talk about those things and I want you to process that. And here's what I want for you. I want you to leave tonight and I hope that there's just one area of your life that you go, you know what? That's the area I got to stop. And maybe it's like four areas for you. And I'm just like, hey, if it's four areas, okay, Come back. We got a care ministry. We can get you in counseling. It'd be awesome. Um, I, I, I'm kidding, but seriously, if you really need help, we have help for you. But I want you to deal with it, and I want you to start choosing to trust and get some people around you to help you, you know, call you out and encourage you and say, hey, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe him for what he is, and I'm going to thank him for what he's done for me. And so the band's going to come and leave, lead us in one last song. But before they do, or as they do, I'm going to pray for us. So let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, um, I thank you so much for the truth of your word that you have set all of us free from sin and death, that we have abundant life in you, Jesus. And God, I'm so grateful for um, the truth today that you are an incredible provider and that you've blessed us so many ways. You've blessed us materially, God. We are spoiled rotten because of what you've given us. We are some of the richest people in the entire universe, God. And that is because of your grace and your mercy and your provision. And I pray that we would be the best stewards of it. I pray that we'd be the most grateful because of what you've done. That we would respond with gratitude, God. And God, you're faithful and you can be trusted in all that we do. And I just pray, God, that we would, um, that we would trust you. And that you would show us the areas that we complain. That you would bring conviction, God. And that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit. And that you would transform us into trusting people who follow you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.